Amen. We'll take your Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. I want to actually look at a variety of scriptures this morning, and so be prepared to turn in your Bible to a few different passages. And, you know, I'm not going to take the time to do it, but if we were to go to Exodus chapter 20 that lists the Ten Commandments, I won't do that for sake of time, but if we were to do that this morning, we'd soon discover that eight out of the ten of those commandments are actually negative admonitions. In other words, uh, they're prohibitions against an action. They're things that we're commanded not to do. Now, the only two commands that we are given that are, I guess you could say, positive commands are remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and honor thy father and thy mother. The rest are negative commandments. Thou shalt not. And that's, it's not a bad thing. It's because when we follow those thou shalt nots, these, these negative admonitions result in a very positive outcome for our spiritual lives. Um, instead of looking for ways to remove them from society, we should be looking for every opportunity to get them back into society. You've seen it all over the place. They're trying to remove the Ten Commandments from all the courtrooms. And I just saw the, uh, I think the court down in Alabama, the, the courtroom down in Alabama that had the, the huge one that, that was so controversial for a long time. They actually just got a court order to remove those Ten Commandments from the, from the courtroom and from the, you know, the court steps. It was a big, tall, you know, uh, uh, not concrete, but uh, marble stone with all of the Ten Commandments etched into it. And we're trying to do everything that we can, it seems, in this country to get rid of not only those, I don't know if you want to call them monuments, but the, the, the physical Ten Commandments, but to completely get rid of all of the commandments altogether. Because, they, you know, they condemn us. The more we realize, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do this, the more we realize that we're sinners, right? And Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law, but a lot of the things that we see in the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament are restated again in the New Testament. Uh, maybe not in the law form, but in the grace form, but just like the majority of the Ten Commandments, the passage that I want to look at this morning, the passage is that I want to look at this morning, are focused on negative admonitions, which, if we follow them, can result in, in a positive, positively wonderful life for a Christian. Uh, especially in these days of crisis. The title of the message this morning is Don't Do It. Don't Do It. You ever, you ever had a, a little kid, maybe two, three years old, they're just getting to the point where they're walking around and just getting to the point where they're starting to understand things that they should not be doing. And you, go, you see them go over there to start touching something, you say, Don't Do It. And they look at you, and you can see the wheels turning in their head because they want to touch that thing so bad. And they start walking in that direction, and they're looking at you, and you can see the wheels turning. You say, don't do it. Don't do it. Right? Sometimes they reach out and they do it. And they have to face the consequences for that, don't they? Same thing is true in our lives as Christians. God is telling us, don't do it. Don't do it. And sometimes that admonition is enough. Sometimes it's not, and it doesn't go well for us when that happens. So I want to take a couple minutes this morning and look at some things that we're commanded not to do, that when we follow these things can be very encouraging. And very beneficial. I know when you say, don't do it, thou, thou shalt not, it sounds very, very negative, but they can actually be very positive things for us. So let's pray, and we'll look at a couple of these things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. So thank you for the word of God. I thank you for all the uh, thou shalt nots that we have in the word of God that keep us from doing things that could harm our lives physically and spiritually. And so God, I pray that you'd help us as we look at these things this morning, that these admonitions from the word of God would be uh, some things that would help us to uh, draw closer to you in our relationship, and that would help us to, to uh, be spiritual in our lives, to be everything that you want us to be. 
pray that you bless the message in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we see is right here in Psalm 37 and verse 1, and that is, fret not. Fret not. Psalm 37 and verse 1 says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. According to Webster's Dictionary. By the way, I've always wondered this. How did, how did Webster know every single word in the English language and know what it means when nobody else knew? I mean, you know, we can go to Webster's Dictionary and say, man, I had no idea what that word meant. What, did he just make it up, you know? Well, here's the definition. This is what this word means, you know? Maybe, but, I mean, you think about it, especially you go back and, I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of words. That guy's vocabulary must, nobody probably understood anything that he said. You know, go look at my book. That's probably how he sold Webster's Dictionaries back in the day, you know? But anyway, Webster's Dictionary says that the word fret has to do with worry or anxiety. Uh, Strong's Concordance says that the word fret is used, as it's used in this verse, comes from the root, which means to heat up. In other words, we, we should not allow things to cause us to be heated up with anxiety or worry. And if we look in Psalm 37 here, we should fret not, the Bible says, over wicked people. It says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. We can't allow the actions of the ungodly to cause us to be anxious. Now, Charles Spurgeon wrote a whole commentary on the Psalms, uh, and he said this about this verse. He said, nature is very apt to kindle a fire of jealousy when it sees lawbreakers riding on horses, and obedient subjects walking in the mire. It's a lesson learned only in the school of grace when one comes to view the most paradoxical providences with the devout complacency of one who is sure that the Lord is righteous in all his acts. Sometimes it's hard to see it that way. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand how are the wicked so successful? I mean, look, you, you look in Congress, and it's like all the, all the people who are trying to destroy this country are 940 years old, you know? They never leave. They never die. Nothing ever happens to them, you know? They go in the hospital, and two weeks later, they're right back in there again, you know? It's not like we're wishing for them to die, but it just seems like, how are they so successful? How are they allowed to continue? How are they allowed to keep going against the righteous day after day after day without seeing God's judgment? And sometimes it just does not seem fair. But God says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. When it comes down to it, there's not a whole lot we can do about it anyway. God's in control. God knows what's going on. God is allowing them to be in that position that they're in. So why not just leave it to God? That's, that's what the rest of chapter 37 talks about. And, and I don't have time, obviously, to read this, but I want you to see what the Bible says. And, and boy, you start, you start getting discouraged about what's going on in our country. You start getting discouraged about what's happening in the world as far as just, it just seems like wickedness is reigning. Read Psalm 37. The Bible talks, I mean, it's just a stark contrast between the righteous and the unrighteous, between the godly and the ungodly. And God makes it very clear. Psalm 37, verse 2, For they, talking about the wicked, shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Verse 9, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse 10, for yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Verse 13, the Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. Verse 15, their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Verse 17, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. Verse 35, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Verse 38, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. Verse 40, and the Lord shall help them, talking about the righteous, and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Boy, just leave it to God. Let God take care of those things. 
We shouldn't be wishing ill on them. We shouldn't be hoping that they die. We shouldn't be hoping that they, you know, like I've heard some pastors on the internet mention, let's pray that they die and go to hell. No, we ought to pray that they get saved. You know, you know how much good that somebody like that could do if they were actually to get saved and allow God to use them? Look, what if, they, what if the Christians back in that day had prayed the same thing about the Apostle Paul? I hope God kills him and sends him to hell. Look what he's done to the church. Look what God did through him for the church when he got saved. The Apostle Paul did a whole lot more good by getting saved and going on to do things for God than he would have if he had just died and gone to hell, right? And that's exactly sometimes the way that we feel about the wicked in this world today. Oh, how do they continue? Let's pray that they'll get saved. Let's pray that God would do something in their lives. And don't worry about it. They're going to be cut off. If they don't turn to him, they're going to be destroyed. And the righteous are going to prevail. It may not be in this life, but we're going to get our reward and they're going to get, get theirs. The, the solution for us to fret not about wicked people is found in verse number 7. Psalm 37 and verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. That's our solution. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't be anxious about it. We shouldn't be fretting about wicked people, but we also should not fret over worrisome problems. You know Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. You know what that word careful means? Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. I'll be the first to say that in our, in our world today, there are plenty of things that we could be worried about. There are plenty of things that we could be anxious about that we could say could cause anxiety. I'm not trying to make fun of someone who says they have anxiety. I'm not trying to downplay it, but I want you to think about something. God never gives us a command that he doesn't also give us a way to keep that command. In other words, God's not going to tell us to do something that there's no possible way that we can do. And so if he says, be careful for nothing, be anxious about nothing, don't have anxiety about the things that are going on in the world today, if that's a command, then he's also given us a way to follow that command which means we can have victory over that. And we don't need a psychologist. We don't need a psychiatrist. We don't need medicine. We don't need all of these things to tell us how we ought to be living our lives. We can go to God and we can get the victory through him. That's, that's, there, there is no reason for us to have anxiety in this world. In other words, God's never going to give us a command that we cannot keep. And if he's commanded us not to be anxious, then he's given us a way to not be anxious. I firmly believe that when we allow our anxiety to take over, it's because like Peter, we've taken our eyes off of Jesus Christ and started looking at the waves all around us. And there's only one thing that can happen when that happens, and that is we begin to sink. That's exactly what Peter did. Peter was all excited. Oh, let me jump out of the boat. I'm going to come walking over to Jesus. And the waves got high. As long as his eyes were on Christ, he was walking on the water just like Jesus was. But the waves, the waves, they started getting a big around him. And he took his eyes off of Christ and he started to look at those waves. And the instant that he did that, he started to sink. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's very interesting that Jesus reached down his hand and picked up Peter. And he said, how, how did you have no faith? I mean, here Peter had the faith to actually get out of a boat and walk on water. You know, I don't even know if I would have had the faith to get out of the boat. But once he got out of the boat, he took his eyes off of Christ. And what happened? He started to sink. And I think that's what happens so often in our world today among Christians. We have the answers. We have Jesus Christ. And, oh, it's, it's great. I can look to Christ. I don't have to look to the world. But then we get out in the world and we start looking around. And the next thing you know, we've taken our eyes off of Christ and things start to fall to pieces because we've taken our eyes off of him. Keep your eyes on Christ and we can follow his command to fret not. But we see another one. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 41. 
We're commanded to fret not, but we're also commanded to fear not. And I know that sounds similar, that sounds close to the same thing, but it's just a little bit different. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse number 10. The Bible says this, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Verse number 13, a couple verses later says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Passenger in a taxi leaned over to the driver, and, and uh, he was going to ask him a question, and so he gently he tapped him on the shoulder and, to get his attention. The, the driver screamed. He lost control of the cab. They crashed into a light post, and, and when everything finally, you know, uh, settled down a little bit, you know, the, the, neither one of them were seriously hurt, but they got out of the cab, and, and uh, for a few moments, it was just silent there. And then this passenger gets out of the back, and, you know, he was shaking. He asked the driver, he said, are you okay? He said, I'm, I'm so sorry. You scared, the, uh, or, or the driver said, I'm so sorry. You scared the daylights out of me. And, you know, the, the guy that was the passenger, you know, he, he's, I didn't realize that just tapping you on the shoulder would scare you so bad. I apologize. And he said, no, 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 it's not, it's not your fault. He said, I'm the one who is sorry. It's entirely my fault. Today's my first day of driving a cab. For the last 25 years, I've been driving a hearse. <laughs> That's not the type of fear that I'm talking about this morning. I'm, I'm talking about living your life afraid. We can get scared sometimes, obviously. Things can cause us to jump or whatever else. Brian and I were splitting wood yesterday, and we saw a, a copperhead. And, and so it slid into the pile. And so I said, every time, every, every piece of wood that we pulled out, pulling it out slowly, you know. Brian thinks he's going to be funny and pinch the back of my leg when I'm pulling out a piece, you know. <laughs> Makes you jump a little bit. Then he, saw, then he saw a frog that jumped at him, and he jumped. But we finally got it. We finally got it. We killed it because there is no, the only good copperhead is a dead copperhead when it comes to those kind of things. And so uh, I'm not talking about things that, that make you jump or things that scare you here and there, but I'm talking about living your life afraid. God says, fear not. I'm with you. We have to, we, we must not fear the possibility of difficulty. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 41 because we're going to come back to it for a second. But I want you to look in John chapter 16. These are words that Christ spoke to his followers in John chapter 16 and verse number 33. And again, this is a pretty familiar verse to you. But the Bible says in John chapter 16 and verse 33, In this world ye shall suffer tribulation. He's not saying there's a possibility you're going to go through some difficult times. There's a possibility you might suffer. No, he said ye shall. That is, that is unavoidable language. It's not you will or you might. It's you shall. And that, if you see that in official language, that means you don't have an option. In this world, you shall suffer tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. See, difficulties are not an obstacle. They're an opportunity. It's an opportunity to sense God's presence. It's an opportunity to see God's power. It's an opportunity to savor God's peace. Difficulties are an opportunity for God to work. And when we allow those difficulties to get in the way of God working, then they become a, a hindrance to our spiritual lives. Almost a hundred times in the Bible, we see the phrase, fear not, or be not afraid. Almost a hundred times we see those phrases. That's when God does his greatest work in our lives many times. When we're afraid, when we're scared, when we realize that the only way out of this situation is him. When we realize that the only way we're going to get past this difficulty is to trust him. When we realize that the only way to get over this obstacle is to put our faith in him. That's, that's when we see God do his best work. 
Now, this mindset hit me a few years ago, and it's, it's changed my perspective. And then I was talking to the guy that we actually uh, cut wood with, I should say four, I suppose, but he actually mentioned the same idea. I'd never heard anybody else say this before until he said it yesterday. Uh, but, it, but he, you know, I, I'd, it, it's this. God knows the very moment that I'm going to die. And he's known that from the time that I was born. Pastor Brothers always said, when I was born, death pulled up a chair. And that's exactly what happens. And God knows the very moment that I'm going to die from the moment that I'm born. Nothing that I can do can take a moment away from that, and nothing that I can do can add a second to that. So what is there to be afraid of? I could die cowering in a corner, or I could die in Africa, you know, in a, in a pot. God knows the moment that I'm going to die, so what do I have to be afraid of? There is literally nothing that I have to fear. I'm not going to die a moment sooner than he wants me to die. And I can't add a moment extra to my life by being cautious. I could die jumping out of an airplane. I could die, you know, walking down the street. I could die of a heart attack in this service. God knows the moment that I'm going to die. So what do we have to fear? I mean, that's looking at it strictly from a physical standpoint. But when he says, fear not, I'm with you, we should trust him. We can believe it. What do I have to fear if God knows when I'm going to die? And if that's tomorrow, then it's tomorrow no matter what I'm doing. If it's, a, if it's 100 years from now, then it's 100 years from now no matter what I'm doing on that day. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to fear. There's, he's already overcome the world. Oh, my friends, we must not fear the possibility of difficulty. But also in Psalm 23, and you don't need to turn over there because you could probably quote this as well, but we, have, we should not fear the possibility of death. Psalm 23 and verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel, fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. As believers, we have to remind ourselves that death is more than an exit. It's an entrance into eternal life. There is nothing to fear in death. You cannot threaten me with heaven. I'm looking forward to it. I love life. I love living. I don't want to die. If you ever see a suicide note next to me, it was forged because I'm not taking my own life. But I tell you this, you can't threaten me with heaven. I'm looking forward to the day when we all get to heaven, when we all see Jesus. That's going to be an exciting day. We don't have to fear death. And if we don't have to fear death, then we don't have to fear life either. Uncle Oscar was apprehensive about his first airplane ride. His friends were excited to see how he enjoyed it. And so when he got down, he said, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. But I'll tell you this, I never did put all my weight down. Isn't it sad that a lot of Christians walk through life the exact same way? So fearful of difficulty, so fearful of dying. They say that they trust Christ, but when it comes to actually having to rely on him to get them through, they aren't willing to put all their weight down. You know, if we studied in, in Isaiah, and go back to Isaiah 41. As I studied this verse and looked over it, something jumped out at me in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse number 13. This verse is in the present tense. You notice that? Look what he says. He says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. He'll hold our hand as we walk through the difficulties of life. And he's going to continually say to us, Fear not, I'll help thee. Fear not, I'll help thee. Don't worry, don't be afraid. I'm here, I'm walking through the valley with you. I'm holding your hand. I rod and my staff, I've got them. 
They'll comfort you. Fear not. Fear not. I'm with thee. It's a continuous thing. He's walking with us. He's holding our hand. And he constantly says, fear not. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Right? How many times have you done that with your kids when they've been afraid to go do something? Maybe walk across the bridge that's a little shaky or something like that. Don't worry. I'm right behind you. Keep going. Keep going. I'm right behind you. I'm with you. Don't worry about it. Just don't look back. Just keep going. Don't look down. Just keep going. Right? That's exactly what Jesus Christ is telling us. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm with you. Fear not. Here's number three. Forget not. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter two, if you will. Forget not. We're commanded to fret not. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. We're commanded to fear not. Don't be afraid. But we're commanded to forget not. Forget not the goodness of God. See, in the midst of dealing with things that cause us to fret and the fears that beset us, it's easy to become distracted and to fail to do what we're supposed to be doing. So we're commanded to, fret, uh, to forget not. What a sad commentary we find in Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse 32, can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number. Oh, it's, it's so, it's almost like you can hear the sadness in God's voice. You're not going to forget to get dressed. You're not going to forget to dress yourself up and try to look good when you go somewhere. But you've forgotten me. So many days that I can't even remember how long ago it was that you remembered me the last time. How sad. Remembering what God's done for us should be a second nature to us is getting dressed. Psalm 103, verse 2. It's a verse that I'm sure you're familiar with as well. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Boy, God does so much for us. As Christians, we should never forget what Jesus Christ did to save us, but we should also not forget what he does in blessing us every single day. The Christian life is a wonderful life. Does that mean that we're not going to have difficulties? Absolutely not. In this world, you shall have tribulation. But it doesn't mean that we can't have a wonderful life as a Christian. The Christian life is a wonderful life. And God gives us blessing. Look, he gives us breath to wake up this morning. Do you realize that you're only one breath away from death? Stop breathing. Take, take one breath and see if you can quit. You're one breath away from death. God gives you that next breath, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. That's a start. And then the list of blessings just goes on from there. Forget not the goodness of God, but forget not to do good. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We see two things in here that we're to forget not to do. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 16, the Bible says this, but to do good and to communicate... Forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now, good works cannot save you, but we're commanded to be like Christ, who the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, went about doing good. That was Jesus Christ. He went about doing good. Now, obviously, Jesus taught faith. Jesus taught uh, that the way to salvation was only through him. The way to heaven was only by grace through faith. So Jesus is not teaching that we ought to do good works to save us. He's not, he's not teaching that we ought to do good works to try to get us to heaven. He's teaching us that we ought to do good works for the sake of being a good Christian. That's what good Christians do. When's the last time you've done something good? Oh, you hear people, I mean, particularly those who are, who are Catholic, say, well, I did my good deed for today. But have you? When's the last time you did good? went about doing good. 
Have you made a phone call to encourage somebody? Have you sent a, a card or a letter to encourage somebody? Let's not forget to do good. But the second thing he says there in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, but to do good and to communicate. Forget not. Now that word communicate is not simply talking about uh, talking. It's talking about giving and even, even giving sacrificially. That's what that word communicate means, to do good and to give, to do good and to give sacrificially. Perhaps God blessed you with, with a good job, being able to work a job with a reliable income. Have you thought about being a blessing to another brother or sister who might be going through a difficult time? A lot of people that are going through difficult times right now because of everything that's happening. I know a lot of people who have sent gift cards or, or money to help others in difficult ways. That's what true Christianity is all about. That's what real Christianity is. It doesn't save you, but it sure gives an indication that you are saved. And that's what he's talking about. That's what it talks about when Jesus went about doing good. By their works, you shall know them. By their fruits, ye shall know them. Faith without works is dead. Oh, we're not talking about works to save us, but we're, we're saying that if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to claim the name of Jesus Christ, then you ought to be doing good. And we should not forget to do those things. But let me give you one last one. And turn over to Galatians chapter 6. We're commanded to fret not. We're commanded to fear not. We're commanded to forget not. And lastly, we're commanded to faint not. We looked at this on Wednesday night. But the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. In trying times, let's be careful not to faint. You might have begun well. You might have started well, fretting not, fearing not, forgetting not. Make sure you don't grow weary and faint along the way. Look, it's a command. Faint not. And if he's given us a command to do it, then he's also given us a way to make sure that we don't faint. Make sure that we don't quit. That's what that word faint means. Remember God's promises. Rely on God's love. Remain in his word. That's the way not to just survive the crisis, but to come out on the other side ahead Come out on the other side excited about doing things for God. Come out on the other side charged up and ready to win souls for Jesus Christ. There's a world out there that needs Jesus Christ. If you faint, if you quit, if you give up, there may be many people that never hear the gospel. D.L. Moody used to tell the story. He said he heard of a man who was uh, in a dream uh, or dreamed that he was swept into heaven, and he was, you know, he's so delighted to think that he'd finally gotten to heaven, and he wasn't there long before somebody came up to him and said, come here, I want to show you something, and so he took him to the edge of heaven, and he said, look down there, what do you see? The man said, well, I, I see a, a very dark world. He said, look, look and see if you know it. The man looked a little closer, and he said, well, sure, that's, that's the world that I've just come from. He said, now, what do you see in that world? The man kind of trained his eyes on that world a little bit, and he said, well, men are blindfolded there, and a lot of them are walking right over the precipice. And the visitor in heaven said, will you stay here and enjoy heaven? Will you go back to earth and spend a little longer time telling men of the danger that they're in, telling them that they're blinded and they're walking over the precipice? He was a Christian worker that had been discouraged, and he awoke from his sleep, and later on he said, I never wished myself dead again. Because we have a responsibility to this world. There are people 
all over the place who are blinded. Blinded by the devil. The Bible says in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 26 and verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That was Paul's goal, to open their eyes because they're blinded and they're walking over the precipice. They're walking over the edge and they're just marching one by one right into hell without even realizing that that's where they're going to end up. And yet here we are. Oh, poor me. Life is so difficult. Life is so hard. God, just take me home. Look, we get like Elijah. Didn't Elijah do that? There were 700 prophets in a cave. And Elijah said, oh, I'm the only one left. It's only me. I'm here left to serve you. Just take me now. There were 700 other people doing the same thing that he was doing. But he got discouraged. He started to faint. And obviously God had to renew him, and he went back and did what God wanted him to do. But you see, when we faint, when we quit, when we give up because of difficulty, when we give up, and things are difficult. I'm not saying that they're not. But when we quit in the middle of those things, the, the, the repercussions are a whole lot bigger than we realize that they are. We hear a lot of negative in the world today. It's something that I don't like to focus on a whole lot, but this morning's a little bit different. All these are negative commands. I think we need to focus on the negative sometimes because it can bring out a whole lot of positive in our spiritual life. Don't do it. Don't fret. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. We know who's in control. We know he's with us, and that's why we can fear not. Don't be afraid. Hey, I'm here. I'm with you. Just keep walking. It's the valley of the shadow of death. It's not death. It's the valley of the shadow of death. It's dark. My rod and my staff, they're here to come with you. Keep walking. I'm holding your hand. Keep going. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what the world could possibly do to you. Don't be afraid of dying. Go live for me. Go work for me. Forget not. How many times has God saved us from things that could have been disastrous in our life? He's with us. He's walking with us. How many times has that rod pushed us back onto the path? How many times has that staff caught us when we were about to fall over the edge and pulled us back? Forget not. Forget not. Forget not. But then he says, Keep serving him. Keep living for him. Yes, it's dark sometimes. Yeah, it's difficult sometimes. Keep walking. Shadows don't last forever. You'll come out in the sunlight. You'll come out on the other side of the valley. It's just the trees. It's just the sides of the cliff. That's all you're walking through. The sun is still there, otherwise there wouldn't be a shadow. One day we're going to come out on the other side. Okay. Keep serving. Keep living for him. We can do ourselves a tremendous favor if we focus on these commands from the word of God. Fret not. Fear not. Forget not. Faint not. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Oh, how often we forget. 
how often we forget what you've done for us and what you continually do for us. Oh God, I pray that you'd forgive us for the times that we forget you. Forgive us for the times that we fear. Forgive us for the times that we fret. Forgive us for the times that we faint. God, I pray that you help each one of us to be renewed. Renewed in our mind, renewed in our strength. We may be able to love you with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our mind, all of our strength. I pray that you'd help us to rely on the only one that can give it to us. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. You would stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I know the one who does. 